Welcome to Conversations from the Pale Blue Dot. Today I interview Zachary Moore. It should be something that you're proud of, and it's just sort of matter-of-factly, oh yes, I'm a free thinker, by the way. If you like the show and want it to continue, please write a kind review on iTunes or send the link to a friend. And now, my interview with Zachary Moore. Dr. Zachary Moore is a medical writer in Texas, and I previously interviewed him about biological evolution, but today we're going to talk about his experience building and running atheist communities. Dr. Zach, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Zach, how did you first become involved with organized atheist communities? Well, you know, I, I actually spent quite a bit of time as a religious skeptic, as a as a, a, a new apostate, completely oblivious to any idea that there was, you know, any sort of organized atheistic anything out there. But once I came to Texas, and I was I was kind of in a different, you know, I was in a totally different location. Uh, um, I'd come down there for for work and to, to pursue some more of my academic career. You know, I, I was in a, in a situation where the only person that I really knew was my wife. It was the two of us that came down together. And I, I didn't really have any, you know, close friends. You know, the only people I knew were those that I worked. You know, and I'm the type of guy that can generally do pretty well on his own. You know, I'm not exactly a lone wolf type, but, you know, it's like I, I don't mind it so much. So it was never anything that was, oh, I've, I've got to find something to connect with. But I just happened to run across, uh, I was on the Internet Infidels uh, discussion board, and um, somehow it came across uh, some post by a fellow who was involved with some of the atheist community here in Dallas, and he mentioned that his group, which was the North Texas Church of Freethought, his group had actually been invited to come speak at a Baptist church in town, and I read that post and I was thinking, what? First of all, that there is a North Texas Church of Free Thought. You know, it's like that sort of, you know, ran through my mind. And I was like, well, okay, that's okay, that's cool, that's that's interesting. And uh -huh. but but more than that, they had been invited to come speak to a group of Baptists, a group of Southern Texas Baptists about you know what it's like to be an atheist or what it's like to be a free thinker. I thought, you know, this is <laughs> this is incredible. I was like, I, I cannot pass this up. This is, I mean, the, the novelty of it, the sheer novelty of it was just amazing. And so I was like, well, I've got to go see it. And so I did. I went <laughs> and, um, and it, it, it was uh, part of a Sunday school series that was taught by a man who be became a good friend of mine, Kevin Harris, who's been involved in Christian apologetics for a long time. And he, uh, at the mm -hmm. time when... Um, uh, he was a member of that church and still lived in, in Dallas. He was running a Sunday school class there. And it was all about Christian apologetics and, you know, sort of coming to grips with the challenges of, of free thought and, and atheism and skepticism. And so he was a very interesting individual. And, he, and he'd run across the uh, the Church of Free Thought folks and invite them to come over. And so I, I went, I was in the audience and all the other sort of you know, Southern Baptist Sunday school goers were there and, and I was just listening and it was, it was kind of like a, an interview, like kind of like a radio interview. Uh, Kevin Harris is a, uh, a radio professional, a really great radio professional. And so he was sort of conducting it like a live in studio interview, um, asking them basic questions, you know, like, uh, you know, 
are you certain that there is no God? You know, how do you go through your life? How do you deal with death? You know, how do you come up with moral systems, et cetera, et cetera? Just basic stuff and stuff that the average pew sitting Southern Baptists were interested in. But I was just so entranced by just that scene that here in in Texas, all places, there is a, a Baptist church that's invited a free thinking church, you know, to come and give this presentation. I was overcome with amazement. So I went and I introduced myself to uh, Kevin Harris. I also introduced myself to the, uh, the representatives of the Church of Free Thought. It was uh, Dr. Tim Gorski, uh, one of the founders of the church. Also Andrew Laska, uh, who was heavily involved at the time. Um, so I introduced myself to both of them and I thought, you know, these are both really interesting organizations. So initially it was not for me, I want to get involved with an atheist community. I, I was just presented with something that was that really piqued my interest, that that really appealed to, you know, sort of the, I guess the the both sides of of my you know competing intellectual you know struggle to deal with my past Christianity, and, and also to explore all these free thinking ideas that I was I was coming in contact with. And so I decided, well, you know, the Church of Free Thought meets once a month, but this church. They have uh, their Sunday school program every week. So, you know, so three weeks out of the month, I'll go check out this Sunday school. And <laughs> the one one week in the month of the Church of Free Thought meets, <laughs> I'll hang out with them. And I thought, you know, it was the best of both worlds. It wasn't really casting my hat in with a free thinking group, with an atheist group. I just really loved the interplay. I loved that the fact that there was an exchange of ideas and uh, and everyone was open to me. You know, the the Christians, I introduced myself. I mean, I was not any sort of a stealth free thinker, you know, I introduced myself to everybody and said, Oh yeah, I'm here, but I'm, I'm a free thinker. I'm not a Christian, but I think what you guys are doing is really, you know, interesting. And I, I'd love to be in the audience and be a part of it if, if, if possible. And I was very warmly welcomed by the Southern Baptists and they, they really appreciated my participation in that Sunday school class. It's, it's a shame that it's been left to go to, to seed uh, since Kevin left. But, uh, you know, I also uh, got involved with the uh, the Church of Freethought and started attending there uh, regularly uh, ever since that point. So that's that's sort of my my introduction to the uh, to the world atheist organizations. And then what has your interaction with the North Texas Church of Freethought been since you discovered it? Yeah, initially, I, I just sort of attended regularly. And it was it was primarily a, a monthly sort of church service style meeting and afterwards the church members the church of free thought members would get together um, at a local restaurant and they would have you know like a two to three hour you know social time they would they would have lunch together and, and socialize and that was really the the bulk of the um, the value there for a lot of them was simply the fact that there were not many places for you to go and, and socialize with other free thinkers and sort of say what you felt about religion, about politics, about, you know, whatever. And so being able to have someplace like the, the Church of Free Thought really meant a lot to them because it was, it was sort of like the one place that they could go and really say whatever opinions they had without fear of, of anybody sort of coming down on them or getting ostracized or anything like that. But so I became a, a regular, you know, participant and I attended for probably about a year. Then I volunteered my my services to uh, to give presentations. So one of the, you know, typical things is, you know, in, instead of there being just like a single sermon, there there tended to be sort of guest presentations or, or or volunteer presentations from people in the audience and 
And at the time, I was doing the um, the Evolution 101 podcast, and I thought, well, you know, a couple of these podcasts might make for an interesting presentation, you know, here or there. And so I, I offered those services to the to the organizers, and so I did a couple of those, and I was, you know, fairly comfortable up there, you know, doing public speaking, and that's that's not something that that people typically are able to do. That's you know, they they say it's the most commonly cited fear that people have and that's that's true there are a lot of people that really don't like it ranked slightly worse than fear of death or something like that right <laughs> and and you know just because of i guess again because of my background because i you know i'd come for, through i just come through a graduate program and i'd i'd had to defend a thesis in front of a doctoral committee once you can get up there and do that, you can you can talk pretty much anywhere, I guess. Maybe the evolutionary source of religion is fear of public speaking rather than fear of death. That that could be it. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so I had no problems getting up there speaking, and I started to do a little bit more and more, and, and giving other sorts of presentations. And then what actually happened was that one of the main organizers had decided to. Uh, retire. They, he and his wife were going to retire, and their dream was to move to Florida. But the leadership structure of the Church of Free Thought was was pretty much divided between two of the organizers who were also the founders. So it was, it was two two guys, Tim Gorski, as I've already mentioned, uh, and another uh, fellow named Mike Sullivan. And Tim Gorski was the pastoral director. Mike Sullivan was the uh, executive director. So, so Tim developed most of the content and presentations for the church, and Mike Sullivan sort of did the you know nuts and bolts behind the scenes. You know, kept everything running. Well, Mike was retiring. He and his wife were retiring and moving to Florida, and so I was asked if I might step in and serve as executive director in his stead. And so I was I was happy to do that because you know I, what I'd seen of the the Church of Free Thought was that it provided a very valuable service. And I thought it was a very good thing. I thought it was a very unique thing. There's one in North Texas. There's also one in Houston. But aside from those two, there's, there was nothing quite like it out there. So I wanted to see that continue. So I, I, I agreed to serve as executive director. And that's, that's sort of how I, I don't know, rose to prominence, as it were, um, <laughs> within the North Texas free-thinking community just, just by you know, taking on that job and, and agreeing to do that. And then I understand that you're no longer with the North Texas Church of Free Thought. Is that right? That is true. So at the end of last year, there was a bit of a disagreement between myself and, and Tim Gorski regarding a number of issues. But the main ones were the, the leadership structure and the way things should operate, whether or not it should be more or less democratic. Tim was always very emphatically assured that a, a democratic a democratically run organization was was not what he wanted for the church of free thought and we agreed to part ways and i and a number of other people started a new organization that is very similar to what the church of free thought does but it has a very explicitly democratic organization it's member run essentially member owned and everything that we do is is open source and available for anybody else to you know to make use of or to, to copy and you know repurpose for their own needs. And this is the Fellowship of Free Thought. Coming up with a name that's always been sort of the age old question. If you recall the South Park uh, episode that the two parter about atheism, you know when when Cartman goes to the future and he's in this atheist society and there's all these wars going around and. Um, when when everybody you know sort of gets gets together and they, they sort of call a truce and he's asking you know, what are you all fighting about and they say well we're fighting about the ultimate question you know 
And he says, well, what's the ultimate question? And they say, well, what do we call ourselves? What are you otters doing? This is our attack. Yes, and we are attacking both of you. You fools, this will be the end of us all. Then accept our answer to the great question, and we will withdraw. Your answer to the great question is illogical. What is the great question? What atheists should call themselves? Unified Atheist League is the most logical name. United Atheist Alliance makes more sense. No, Allied Atheist Alliance. That way it has three A's. That is the logical choice. So be it. We cannot agree. Prepare to die. Fire red missiles launch, sir. <laughs> and, you know, and that's that, that it does, you know, speak to a little bit of truth there on Matt and Trey's part. There are so many different organizations, uh, different sort of atheist, atheistic, secular, you know, whatever. And that's, you know, that's a whole nother thing is, you know, what, what do you call Do you call yourself an atheist or do you call yourselves agnostics or free thinkers or secular humanists? All this stuff and, and all these different organizations that, you know, the Center for Inquiry, the American Humanist Association, American Atheist, Atheist Alliance International, all, you know, all these things. And it's, it's like, what, you know, what exactly, what, what's the differences here? You know, what, 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 why would I want to get involved with American Atheists versus the American Humanist Association, for example? You know, like, what, what's the real difference between the atheists and the humanists? And and I still haven't figured that one out, but but you know I mean, it, but it's it's been important enough that you know there are there are people that you know that refuse the label atheist, and they you know they say oh, no 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 I don't I don't want to be associated with the atheists I want to be called something else. So yes, the, the name of the organization that we founded was called the the Fellowship of Free Thought. We don't want to lay claim to this you know this Fellowship of Free Thought you know whatever that is. We don't want us to be the global overlords of whatever that becomes whatever that becomes we just want to be that in dallas so you aren't going to sue me if i start a fellowship of free thought la no absolutely not in fact we've explicitly made all of our content um open source we have a creative commons copyright on everything that we do so anybody can nobody has to ask our permission in fact i mean it'd be nice but <laughs> it'd be nice, but you don't have to. I mean, you can you can take what we do and sort of and repurpose it and call yourselves the Fellowship of Free Thought. Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, Atlanta, New York, whatever. And what are some of the things that you like about the Fellowship of Free Thought so far, or some of the successes that you've had? One of the main successes, and this admittedly is a a little petty, but um, this this also ties in with the name. So we called ourselves the Fellowship of Free Thought. We did not call ourselves the Church of Free Thought. The Church of Free Thought it was the organization that I was previously affiliated with. And, and a lot of people actually had a problem with the C word. I never did. You know, I've, I've never really had a problem with churches. You know, part of my apostasy was not, you know, it was, I, I didn't have any bad experiences. You know, so I, I don't have any negative feelings in regard to churches my guess is that that's probably the source of a lot of people's aversion um, to that word. But but even when I was back when I was affiliated with them, I would have conversations with people who were you know atheists, agnostics, freethinkers, whatever, and they would be talking about, boy, wouldn't it be nice to have some place where you could go and meet other people and have shared values and socialize and and do all these things and you know kind of like a church. 
And I would say, well, there is this place called the Neuro Texas Church of Free Thought. Oh my gosh, they've they've made a church of oh, it's just the worst. Oh, I can't believe they did that. I would never go to something like that. <laughs> you know, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've I've had that conversation. And it's just, you know, people seem to be wanting that, but they they have a real aversion to buying into the the name itself. And and again, I, I don't have a problem with it personally, and I respect the reasons why the, organi- the why the organizers and founders you know decided to call it a church. It's you know it's kind of a bold move, kind of a gutsy move, and they wanted to sort of stake their claim and 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 make the point that it's not just the supernatural religious people who should be able to have an organization like this, and 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 why not call it church? But in in practical terms, and and I don't know, this may change as the culture changes, but. What it turned out to be practically was that most free thinkers and atheists, et cetera, really have a problem with anything called church <laughs> and and stayed away. And 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 the Church of Free Thought was very successful at the time. Um they were pulling in, you know, like a hundred people or so. But we've done a lot better as the as the Fellowship of Free Thought. And we've we've also been able to make more connections among people who were were just sort of interested in atheist organizations for social reasons that that's all that they really wanted and and now we've been able to get people involved in in outreach and charitable outreach been able to you know sort of plug them into educational type things i guess i should back up one of the i guess defining characteristics of the the atheist organization landscape at least here in in dallas fort worth is that there's three basic types of organizations there are purely social clubs. So there's just like dinner groups, the meetups that they just get together and, and all they do is have, you know, dinner or drinks, you know, or, or maybe they might go out to a club or a dance club or something like that. But it's it's pure socialization, which is, you know, there's there's a there's a there's a purpose for that. And there's a there's a, um, a very good place for that. But that's all they do. They don't really do anything. They just get together and, and hang out. Uh, then there's other groups that are a little bit more activist oriented. For example, there's you know prayer before like a city council meeting. You know they will go and and if they find out about it, they'll go and protest, write letters, you know stand out front with signs or something like that, and say this is wrong. This is a conflation of church and state, and they should stop this, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So those are activist groups, and and there's a very specific type of person that really likes that. And then the other type is our group, and and our group kind of blends the social aspect with like a, a family slash educational aspect. So it, it it does fit a little bit more like you know what what you think of a church is, where there's uh, the, the sort of the three pillars that that we try to to focus on are you know education, outreach, and socialization. So anything that we do, either fits into one of those categories or it blends. So, for example, well, I mean, we'll go out to the pub and, and just drink beer, you know, on a Friday night or a Saturday night. We'll do that. We'll also go pick up trash along the highway, you know, or along the, the lake, White Rock Lake here in Dallas. We'll do that. And that's almost purely outreach. I mean, people get together and they, they, they talk while they're doing it, too. But it's, it's primarily charity. And then we'll have, you know, just simply educational types of things like a debate club, for example, where we just get together and hash things out. And then we'll sort of blend like our biggest um, blending event is our gathering. So we have a 
a monthly gathering. We get together. We actually rent out a recreation center here in Dallas, and there's 100 to 120 of us. They get together, and we have a like an hour-long program of presentations and music and poetry recitations and, and other things, announcements and you know, some official business that we talk about. And then we follow that with a social potluck. You know, everybody brings uh, some something, you know, some covered dish, some, some drinks, some you know, salads, desserts, whatever, and sit around for a couple hours just right there and have a, have a nice little potluck. So, and very often during these gatherings, we'll also have some sort of a charity drive, like a food drive or a clothing drive or a there's a women's shelter that we support that uh, we get like toiletries and other things for them, for the women who are victims of domestic abuse, basically. And they, they, they need some of the feminine essentials. So we, uh, we help to provide those. But, but so that sort of brings all those, those three things together in, in one event. So it's been very successful. Yeah, just about the only thing I actually miss from church is potluck. So that sounds good to me. Potlucks are the best. <laughs> well, they're, they're the best. It's sort of like the opening of the Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. So that's what that's what a potluck is like. Why do you have food fights? Oh no no no! Just you know, <laughs> some 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 of the things that people you know people like some of their fa- you know they they bring some of their favorite ah, dishes. Okay. Some people can have very specific tastes um, that that don't really translate well to a broad audience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One person loves blood sausage. Ah, uh, and I I do love blood. I've never brought blood sausage to a pot. Like I I don't think I would ever do that. But I do love blood sausage. So what's the member count of the Fellowship for Free Thought right now? It's difficult to say what our actual membership is. So we've we've only been in existence since January. We we sort of integrated uh, one existing group. So there's a there's an existing group here in Dallas called the uh, Free Thinkers of Dallas that was organized by by Whitney Ford, who's now active in the Fellowship of Free Thought. Uh, serves on the acting board of directors. Her group had a substantial number of people in it. And then we also, there are a number of people from the Church of Free Thought who didn't necessarily leave it behind, but, but wanted to come over and, and definitely want to be a part of what we're doing also. So the, the, at the very beginning, there was kind of a conflation of, of two groups, you know, people sort of pouring over from, from one existing group and people getting taken up who were already involved in, in, in another one. And the, the Free Thinkers of Dallas was primarily a social group, it was one of those social like dinner groups. At that time, it was about 300. Now our our uh, our count is over 500 um, people that are registered on our meetup site. Our meetup site, I guess, is our our primary way of keeping track of of, of people and letting people know what we're doing. Simply because it it you know it really works. It, it's a really great resource for organizing groups. If I were to do it again, I mean, we we did have the benefit of an existing meetup group that we were able to um, incorporate. But if I were if I were going to do it again, if I was going to found a fellowship of free thought in you know Atlanta, I would definitely just start a start a meetup, you know, because that's that's where people tend to go. We also have just a standard website, fellowshipoffreethought.org, that has you know basic information. It's not quite as dynamic as as meetup. Obviously, it's it's more like just a, kind of like a calling card on the internet for for what we're doing. Yep. If you measure by uh, the people that attend our gatherings. Um, then that's that's over 100, which is really fantastic. Uh, one of the things that we're doing in the process of doing right now is drafting and approving a set of bylaws. 
And that's, you know, sort of one of these steps that, that you have to go through. Um, well, you don't have to go through, but one of the steps that we're going through uh, as we're becoming a, an organization. And, and according to the, the bylaws, at least the current draft that we're, we're working on, it hasn't been approved yet. There will actually be a sort of a specific definition of, of membership because, uh, as I said, we intend to be run uh, democratically. And, you know, in order to be run democratically, you have to have people to, who can vote. And so you have to sort of define, well, who can vote and who cannot vote. I mean, if you just show up, can you vote on, you know, something important or, you know, what are the, what are the specifications, you know, how, how involved do you have to be in the organization in order to vote? And so that's, that's one of the things that we're wrestling with right now. The sense I get when I talk to people is that there's a big demand for this, especially among families uh, with non-believing parents. And it's a very large unmet need in most places of the country. Do you think that's true? I think that is absolutely true. Uh, and the reason for that is because it's people in my generation, your generation, really seems to be the first really skeptical generation, the, the one or at least the one that's that's being exposed to more popular skeptical ideas and likes them. One of the things that's that's interesting that I mention in my um, presentation I give called the Cat Herder's Dilemma is that more than half of all kids who are raised in Christian homes are completely disengaged from their religion once they're done with high school. This is information from the Barna Research Group, you know, and right. he's, he's, he's a Christian pollster asking questions about Christians. And according to, uh, according to his own research, uh, 61% of all spiritually active, whatever that means, spiritually active teens are disengaged from from anything religious um, after college, and only about twenty percent sort of maintain their level of, of spiritual activity. So take all the, the the kids that grow up, you know, in a basic secular environment, and you know, are, are skeptical from the get go. Take those, but in addition to those, we're getting hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, probably millions of former Christians in my generation. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 10 years out of college, so they're really sort of, you know, putting that stuff aside. But, but what's more important is they're probably now having, they've had kids. So I, a lot of people that I know are either having kids or they've had kids. The oldest kids out there from my generation are primarily right now in, in kindergarten. So, you know, they've they've sort of gone through this whole raising, you know, these these little infants and toddlers and, and you know, et cetera. And but now they've got to go out into the world. Now they've got to go send them to school. Now they've got to go interact with all these other kids. And the the kids that are being raised in, in Christian homes or or even in homes that just think that Christianity is a good thing, even if they're not technically Christian themselves, they're getting shuttled off into Sunday school. And taken to church and taken to uh, vacation Bible school and all these things, all these things that I used to do when I was a kid, too. But the parents, uh, the, the free thinking parents are starting to realize, well, hey, wait a minute. I thought I could do all this myself. But now I see that, you know, there's there's all these resources out there and there's there's all these activities and things like that for, for all these kids. And I want Junior to be as intellectually you know, upright and, and, and consistent as I am. I don't want to fake his Christianity to get him into vacation Bible school, even though I think he'd really love it and all his friends are there. You know, so what do I do? So I think it's, it's, a, a, it's an existential 
crisis of sorts or a parenting crisis of sorts for people in my generation who are just now having their kids, you know, being integrated in with, you know, the larger society. And so they're, they're asking really, you know, hard questions about, you know, socialization and, you know, what kind of environment are they being exposed to? Do they know any other kids that are from free thinking households? And for the parents, they were probably like me, you know, they're like, well, you know, I'm a free thinker, but I mean, I don't have to hang out with the free thinkers to, you know, to make it work. But now they've, they've got kids and they, they want their kids to have uh, certain free thinking influences. That's at least that's that's what I'm seeing. Uh, you probably get better answers if you had if you were interviewing somebody with kids. I don't. Uh, but this is just this is just what I've observed. So I think that has really been what's triggered it in the, the past you know, two or three years is the the sort of onslaught of all the Generation Y free thinkers they're having kids now and they're trying to figure out you know what the hell do i do you know i I want them to i want them to value critical thinking i want them to value science i want them to you know to value uh you know a more broad worldview and the type of thing that that they've developed in themselves but they don't quite know how to to get that across and they don't know how to get their kids in contact with other kids that would would share the same type of thing so that's what the demand that's where that comes from um, and it's it's not just in Dallas it's it's all over the country so I've heard so I think I think there is a real need there I think one of the biggest tragedies is that I've I actually know some people who are free thinkers themselves they've definitely walked away from religion and for good reason but they've got kids now and they're not really aware of anything else that's that's available for them or they don't have anything else close by and so they're basically sending them to christian preschool and vacation bible school and all this other stuff because they figure well you know i mean i don't agree with all the stuff that's being taught there but at least most of it's good right you know and they're sort of you know in my opinion kind of fooling themselves and, and and shutting their eyes to what could happen i mean i'm not saying that you know all these kids are being sent to sunday school and you know, being indoctrinated and brainwashed into being, you know, good little Christians. I mean, I'm sh- that, that's, it's, it's certainly part of that process to instill Christian values in the kids. I'm not that worried about it, but I, I do think that it's kind of a tragedy to have to make that concession, you know, to have to say, well, there really isn't anything out there that I like, and, you know, I can't be there for them all the time. They've got to socialize at some point, so... Yeah, I think it is a tragedy, especially when you consider that a lot of times these parents are the ones who have kind of broken the cycle, you might say. They're the ones who first emerged from uh, our superstitious origins in their family line, and then they have nowhere else to put their kids, so they put them in you know, Sunday school to socialize or vacation Bible school where their kids may be susceptible to picking up a lot of the old uh, superstitions. Right, 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 yeah. So, Zach, let's talk about how do you actually start and run these atheist organizations or these free-thinking organizations that are so needed by this new generation of skeptics. The first worry that comes to my mind is how do you pay for the expenses when you can't tell everyone, hey, God wants you to give me 10% of your income? Well, the the good news is that the startup expenses are probably no more than about $500, so, you know, let's say that you had you and four buddies who want to do this. You'd only have to kick in about $100 each in order to make something happen. And when I say make something happen, what I mean is have the first organizational meetings, 
come up with a name, find a website, build a website, print up some brochures, send out some emails, rent a, uh, a meetup site. Just by doing that, you're pretty much there. I mean, you're on your path. There's really not that much more you need to do. Everything after that is very organic. But to your question, you know, how do you keep it maintained? How do you sustain it? Yeah. The biggest challenge is dealing with people's psychology. Because there are a lot of things that people will not like um, just sort of instinctively because it reminds them of church. You know, and, and in their mind, church is a bad thing. So, right, so it, calling it church it will get people to not come. I mean, that's, just, that's pure psychology. Asking for money, you know, passing a collection plate around, all those things are kind of things that, that people that rub them the wrong way. They're like, oh, well, you know, I'm getting together and they're having a meeting here and now they're passing a plate around and I feel awkward if I don't do something. And uh, this is that weird feeling that I don't like from church. I don't want to do this anymore. You know, so that type of thing. So in in my mind, and, and I, I can't really speak to what's the best way to do this. I can only really speak to the way that, that we've done this at the Fellowship of Free Thought. You just have to be upfront about it, maybe joke around about it a little bit, and but appeal to you know the sense of reason look you know it costs us a certain amount of money every month to rent this you know recreation center that everybody loves coming to everyone loves participating in but it costs money so if you can you know if you can float a few bucks our way it would help us out and and it more than help us out it would it would make this continue because if if people have to realize if the donations do not come then this exercise is not sustainable, at least not the way that the Fellowship of Free Thought does it. Now, you could you could maybe sustain, you know, a little social group, a little dinner group, where all you have to do is make reservations at a at a restaurant. I mean, that that doesn't really cost anything. I mean, you, you still have to pay for the the meetup site, but but after that, you know, there's really nothing else to do. If that's all you want, then the costs are minimal. But the the rewards are also kind of minimal because you're you're not going to get a, a big investment of time from people. You're not going to be able to do the charitable outreach types of things that require a little bit of organization and require like a central banner for everybody to rally around. So you're going to miss out on a lot. So you know people people need to understand that. So at at every point um, that's possible when you're when you're talking with people and when you're explaining to them, you know why you need money what it's going to be used for. All that has to be sort of looped into the conversation. Every charity, I mean, every charitable organization asks for your money. You know, PBS every year asks for your money. That's just a reality. If you're organizing an atheist organization just because you have funny feelings about churches that used to ask for money, that, you, I mean, you just need to get over that because that's, that's a reality of how these organizations work. Now, the other thing that goes a long way is having open books. So one of the things that, that makes people more okay with giving you their money is having a little bit more certainty of you know, what it's going to be used for. Churches, uh, at least in, in Texas, don't have to open their books at all. Uh, so one of the things that we're considering right now is actually a 501c3 status. You don't technically need that to operate as a as an atheist organization. Well, it would make donations tax deductible, obviously, and it would also require us to go through a certain process and uh, keeping our books clean that people can have some assurances about. You know, the, and the other thing is 
making it a community participatory type of thing. Give people some ownership in the organization, I would imagine. Right, right, right. So, and and we have we haven't implemented this, and and bear in mind we're still very new. But one of the things that we've discussed and talked about is is actually recognizing those people that do contribute. Let's say somebody decides they want to subscribe to the Fellowship of Free Thought, and they want to pay thirty bucks a month every month, and they just want that to go to us. It, it comes straight from their bank to our bank, so they don't even have to do anything. They don't have to um, drop money in a shoebox or anything like that. Somebody who's a, a regular supporter, I mean, just like PBS does, you know, I mean, they send you a little tote bag, you know, uh, I'm not saying that we're going to send out tote bags, but, you know, at least in our, you know, in our program, our bulletin, or, you know, maybe in our website, uh, if somebody wants to be included, if they want to be anonymous, that's fine. But, you know, uh, we want to recognize those people that are helping, you know, the organization to continue. You know, we don't charge anybody anything to show up. You know, you can you can be a mooch every every month if you really wanted to. Nobody's going to say anything. Nobody's going to require you to do anything. But it's it's rewarding just to give. I I like to support a lot of different uh, free thinking and atheistic charities myself. One of the things that I've read that I don't know this for sure. I haven't seen any data, but this is what I've heard is that. Uh, Freethinkers and atheists um, tend to give readily when there is some sort of an emergency or some sort of a one-time need comes up. They open up their pocketbooks much more than your average religious believer. But the opposite, just regular monthly, weekly giving, like going to church and dropping money in the offering plate. So regular giving, freethinkers and atheists tend to be pretty bad at, whereas religious believers, they tend to be very, very good. Now, the problem is that slow and steady wins the race. So if you get tons of people donating, you know, 20 bucks a week to their church, you know, that ends up being a pretty substantial annual budget. Whereas if you compare that to, you know, a bunch of atheists getting together and, you know, donating money for a billboard campaign, you know, that happens once every however many years. So it looks really fantastic, and we're like, oh, wow, we, you know, we raised $3,000 in like two months. But then you can't do anything. <laughs> you can't get any more money out for you know, just standard stuff, regular stuff. So, so, I mean, and that's also just a part of the psychology of it. You know, we're, and I think part of that does come from the fact that you know, atheists and free thinkers tend to resist this, you know, being, buying into different organizations because if they're, if they're donating regularly, then they feel like they're a part of an organization. And a lot of uh, free thinkers and atheists say, well, I don't, you know, I don't have to be part of an organization. I, I, that, that doesn't, uh, that's not something that's necessary for me anymore. You know, I can just be an independent thinker. Well, yeah, you can be an independent thinker, but you're completely ruining, you know, the economic planning of any organization like, you know, like the Fellowship of Free Thought or like the Foundation Beyond Belief, you know, which is, I mean, it's a fantastic enterprise. I, I can't say uh, enough good things about it so far. I've been very impressed. But the only way that works is if you have, you know, regular subscribed giving. So, so free thinkers have just got to sort of bite the bullet and, and, you know, work a little bit of charity into their, into their budget. I'm not saying 10%. I'm not saying you have to tithe like Christians do. But, you know, work some charity into your, into your budget and it will be, it'll be really rewarding. The other thing, and I say this somewhat facetiously, is uh, do as much outreach to gays and lesbians as possible, <laughs> because they uh, they do tend to have that um, disposable income. <laughs> That's just a matter of fact. 
Well, we've covered some of this already, but let's say there's a group of friends who have been talking about how they wish there was an organized community like this for non-believers, and a few of them want to give it a try and see if it works. What are some of the things that they need to be thinking about? What kinds of research should they do first? What are the steps they need to take to put something like that together? The first thing that I would do is, you know, look around and see what the landscape is in terms of other organizations. What is out there that's close to you? You know, is it something like just a little social club? Is it something like, you know, just an activist organization? Is it something like the Fellowship of Free Thought? Or is it something else entirely? You need to understand, you know, what is out there. Because one of the things that um, I don't want to encourage necessarily. I mean, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, but I don't want to encourage people to, to found a bazillion new little organizations. I mean, if you're living in a major city, there's probably one close by that is doing some really fantastic things. And so instead of founding a, a brand new one that you know will do something just like it, but have a different name, in my mind, there's got to be a really compelling reason. Or even if there's one or two things that are different, it still might be most effective to just grow that one organization, I would imagine. Absolutely. Let's say I moved to Atlanta. If I moved to Atlanta, the first thing I would do is, and I know there is an Atlanta Freethinkers uh, group out there, I'd, I'd find whatever they're doing and try to get involved with them. I think that's probably the best thing to do. Now, granted, there are, uh, for major cities, there are usually one or two, right? So that's a good place to start. It can be kind of a hassle when you're in a major city because you're not, you may be not are not living in a central location and maybe they meet 45 minutes away, an hour away. It's entirely possible. The Fellowship of Free Thought meets, you know, right smack in the middle of Dallas, but there are people that drive in from Fort Worth, which, which is a pretty, it's a pretty good drive to get in there. And for the DFW area, I could see it making a lot of sense to have something like what the Fellowship of Free Thought is in Dallas, but also have that in Fort Worth. So I think that does make sense. But at any rate, the first thing I would do is to try to figure out what the landscape is, what, what's out there, what's not. Um, if you're living in a town where there's just a couple social groups and you really want to have something like the Fellowship of Free Thought that can, that can sponsor like educational activities and, and, and debates and, and you know, have family activities and those types of things. Well, the first thing that I would do, figure out who does everybody know that would be interested in this. So, so try to come up with your potential membership directory before you even do anything, you know, just get a list of people that you think you know, might be interested, even if you just think they would be interested by the idea. You've, you've got to have that that potential membership there. Other people will come. But if you have a core group, especially if you know each other, especially if you're, you're already, you know, somewhat friends with each other and can trust each other, that is a huge benefit right there. The next thing is you've got to spend uh, a lot of time thinking about what the mission of your organization is going to be. You know, what, what's going to define it? When, when people talk about your organization, what single sentence or maybe two sentence answer do you want them to say if somebody asks them, oh, so what's that organization all about? You know, you've got to have like a one sentence or two sentence thing that people can come back with, you know, a little elevator conversation. What, what are the values that, that you have, that your friends have, uh, that you want reflected in this organization? You know, do you want to promote science or do you want to pro promote philosophy or both? Or do you want to focus heavily on charity or do you want to be, you know, something for kids, something that's, you know, explicitly, you know, a family organization or everything, all the above. 
is there anything that you don't want to do? Do you want it to be democratic or not? I mean, it doesn't have to be, but, you know, people in this country tend to like it better if it is, unless they're objectivists. Nothing against objectivists. I have something against objectivists. <laughs> you know, all these considerations, and that leads up to, you know, what you call yourselves, right? You know, if you're starting a group in Seattle and you call yourselves the Seattle Atheists, are the people that think they're agnostics going to not come? You know, are the people that call themselves freethinkers not going to come? It can be tough. What do you call yourselves? The the Seattle seculars. And I mean, it's fairly broad, I guess. But, you know, it doesn't really have a cachet to it. Maybe it does. I don't know. But these are all things that you got to think about. And for the Fellowship of Free Thought, we thought long and hard about this. We had late night meetings and, and hours and hours and hours of conversation we got out whiteboards and we whiteboarded it. We brainstormed. We you know drew diagrams, all that kind of stuff, and and we came up with, in, in terms of a orientation label, we preferred free thought because it is it is fairly broad, but it does it does imply you know a certain amount of skepticism, scientific approach uh, to things that that incorporates you know maybe a little bit more philosophy than the than the average group would seem to be welcoming of anybody, whether they're atheist, agnostic, humanist, whatever. And it has that word free in it that has a very positive ring for Americans. It does, and that, that sort of counters the psychological problem. But we, we took up the word fellowship, you know, because we were trying to think of, you know, what do you, what do you call what it is that we want to do? What do you call something that's kind of like a church but not a church? And because the, the social aspect of us, of what we do is, is very central and also it sort of promotes a, I don't know, the word fellowship kind of promotes kind of like an, I don't know, an egalitarian. Yeah, I think so. Feeling about it, you know, where the, these are all, you know, like-minded people, you know, people from, you know, either, even though they're from, you know, different backgrounds and different, you know, social status or whatever, they're all free thinkers together. They all have a you know, a common approach and common respect for these values. So that's what we settled on. And so once you've got, once you've got a name, once you've got, you know, values and organizational mission, that's really it. So after that, I mean, everything else is just organizational crap, logistics. Then you start the meetup group and you contact everybody and you schedule something and all of that. Absolutely. Then, you know, then you get together again and you say, okay, well, now we've got a name. What's our logo going to be? For the Fellowship of Free Thought, you know, we wanted something that, that encapsulated both those, those ideas, the free thought and, and the fellowship. And, and what we came up with, it was, it was a bit of a collaboration, uh, although the final logo was done by uh, Whitney Ford. It, it's kind of like a, a pansy look. So a pansy is the I don't know if it's the official flower of free thought, but it's it's associated with free thought and pansies are have been used as logos mm. for free thinking organizations before. So we took a pansy design and stylized it so it looks like uh, so the petals are people sort of coming around together and you know they've got their arms around each other and linked around a little dot in the middle. Yeah, it almost looks like a a team huddle in sports where you all put your hand in and. Yeah, kind of like that. So, I mean, so it's a, it's a fellowship, you know, it's people coming together and, you know, from all different directions and things like that, but they're united around a central value, uh, which is free thought. That, that's, you know, shown by the pansy. But I mean, you know, all these things as they, as they sort of click together, 
you're you're building an identity. I mean, it's it's not something that you just sort of have to flip a switch. It's all these little steps, and all as as these things progress, you sort of look back and you realize, oh wow, you know, this actually is something. But the Fellowship of Free Thought is an organization that we basically invented six months ago. But I I kind of talk about it like it's something real, um, and that's how I think about it. This is this is something real. This is apart from me, you know, if I had to move away, it would still continue, which is fantastic. And, and all these steps, you know, building brand identity, and, you know, I mean, this is marketing 101. These are all parts of it. So you've got a logo, you've got a name. Once you've got a name, you can come up with some sort of a website, some sort of a URL, you know, that captures what it is that you, you know, want to get across. For us, fortunately, fellowshipoffreethought.org was available. We also had fofdallas.org uh, was available, so we, we you know snapped those up. And another person in our group has experience building websites uh, and designing websites. Whitney helped design. Another founding member, uh, Kip Lewis, helped build it. And I challenge you to find any group of free thinkers that does not have some web professional in it. I, <laughs> I've I've uh, I've never met a single group uh, that did not have some sort of an IT person in it somewhere. Yeah, I don't know whether that's some sort of a law of nature or what, but um, but at any rate, you should you shouldn't have you shouldn't have much trouble finding somebody who can build you a website, you know. So then you have a website. Then it's even more real than it than it was. You know, then you've got a URL. You can you can send it you know to somebody if you want them to check it out. You can use that URL to build your email addresses, and now everybody's got email addresses. You sign up for a meetup dot com website you know which is it's not that expensive in the long run it's fantastic for organizational purposes and you you set up you know meetings and things that you want to do if you just want to start off you know meeting at the pub start off meeting at the pub we've done plenty of those you know dinners cleaning up trash you know all those sorts of things those are those are really easy to do and and especially if you if you divide the work so i guess the next step to organization so you've got you've got an organization's identity. Now you've got to come up with sort of like the guts. You know, how do things work? So if if you're going to be doing this with three or more people, then you've got to have some sort of a, a rational distribution of, of of duties and responsibilities. There probably needs to be somebody who can handle logistics very well, can make arrangements with with places, you know, to make reservations and to figure out how many people can be held you know, buy it by a single place. Um, you know, you don't want to have a restaurant event at a, at a restaurant that's too small to hold everybody. You need to have a family person. If you don't have somebody in your group that, you know, has a family, has kids, then at least, you know, somebody that likes kids, <laughs> I guess, or works well with them. That would help. Yeah. The, all those things help. You know, maybe somebody that is explicitly interested in, promoting social activities or somebody that's explicitly interested in promoting charity activities or things like that. We haven't really gone through like the, the standard, like, you know, president, vice president, secretary type thing. Although of that sort of standard uh, hierarchy, a treasurer is very important. If you don't have Mm -hmm. a treasurer, then nobody's going to be keeping track of the money that, that you bring in. Um, so make sure you have a, a good treasurer. We have a fantastic treasurer. She's a CPA. So I mean, you, you don't have to have a CPA, but we do, um, which is fantastic. And she does a really, really great job. 
I've been a member of Toastmasters for a while, which is an organization, international organization that teaches people how to become public speakers. And that's a great way to introduce yourself to how to divide up the labor or the roles at a meeting and how to make that work effectively because at every meeting there's different people who perform different roles in the meeting and then there are also different officers like the treasurer and vice president education, vice president production, that kind of thing. And those trade off maybe every six months or every year. But that's just a really easy way to observe how that kind of thing can work because if you go on meetup.com and type Toastmasters in, you're going to find one within an hour of, of where you live and probably much closer. And so for me anyway, that's just my little tip on uh, how to introduce yourself to how that might work if you are not very familiar with that kind of environment. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And anybody that has experience with, you know, like PTAs, or Lions Clubs. I mean, uh, Lions Clubs may be a bit older than our demographic, but you know, something like that, like these little these service. Yeah, I don't even know what that is, actually. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's kind of like <laughs> I know like, it exists, but I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's kind of like Rotary Club, but Rot- Rotary tends to be for uh, I don't know. Rotary Club tends to be for the the rich folks that don't have that much to do, or the business people. Lions Clubs tend to be for um, the older retired guys who want to keep doing good stuff. But, but you know, whatever, whatever it is, the, these, if you have experience with different organizations, then that's, that's always a plus. But you do need to have some sort of a distribution, some sort of a, you know, a, a, this person is in charge of, of that task and the other person is in charge of that task. Otherwise, you're going to have all sorts of overlapping things, you know, all, all these types of things, which can be easily avoided um, as long as you know, well, when it comes to this, it's this person's job. When it comes to that, it's that person's job. So that's, you know, that's, that's the first thing you want to do. Now, that all sounds, you know, fine and good in principle. The challenge can be when it comes to free thinkers and atheists, agnostics, whatever, there tend to be a lot of people with very strong ideas about stuff. A lot of sort of, not exactly alpha personalities, but you know, very strong personalities. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they feel very strongly about certain things. So it, it can be kind of a challenge to get all those people to work together. The, the very definition of a free thinker is somebody who does not respect appeals to authority, right? So you've got free thinkers and you're trying to put them into an organizational hierarchy where they have to respect authority. Uh-oh, you got to herd cats. It does work, but if you're in that sort of a, a system, then you just have to be aware that there are going to be people who have very strong ideas about how things work. And I guess we've talked a bit about this already, but what are some of the human resources that are going to be really crucial when building an atheist community? Uh, so you've got to have as many people integrated and excited about helping as possible. So the, the best way to do that is to just to get to know them find out what their talents are, find out what the things that they like to do and get them plugged into something that, that the organization needs. Um, or if it's something that the organization doesn't need right then, maybe, maybe it's something that you can add, right? So maybe, uh, maybe you're having uh, meetings or gatherings like the Fellowship of Free Thought and you're just, you're just doing them and then somebody comes along and says, well, hey, I've got this really swanky new video camera and would you think it's all right if I just set it up in the corner and, and you know, recorded the, the gathering and then posted it up online for other people to watch. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's not like it's a, a core function that's required 
for you know the organization to proceed. You don't have to have these things recorded and, and, and publicized. But it's it's a really nice thing. It'd be great to have a lawyer. <laughs> That's some somebody that we don't have yet. It'd be great to have a lawyer. It'd be mm-hmm. great to have you know like an actual PR person, somebody that can handle you know marketing type stuff really well. Mm-hmm. You know, be be great to have a a journalist. You know, like a newspaper person or a blogger who sort of took us on as their own little pet project to to, to promote or whatever. It's 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 less important to find you know, specific positions and specific people, it's less important to do that um, than it is to just have a, a, a continuous mindset of trying to get to know the people that come in your community and find places to plug them in because the better plugged in they are, uh, the more ownership they take of it, the more important it is for them to to see that it continues because then, you know, it becomes important to them. It becomes something that they want to help help build and, and nurture and they, they don't want it to die. So what do you think people should do in terms of advertising? Like if you want to grow the community beyond the people that you know and the people one step removed from the people that you know and the people who just find the meetup page and come that way, do you think there's a place for certain types of advertising? So advertising is tricky. We've tried advertising in the past. Richard Freethought was was involved in advertising in the past. My opinion of advertising for organizations for free thinkers and atheists is that most of it, in fact, the vast majority of it, is a waste of time. The overall community of people who are actively involved in, with certain organizations is really small. And so it's so small that that word of mouth is probably still the best way to get information around. Newspaper advertising, I mean, newspapers really aren't, you know, (laughs) that's really not the best media. Newspapers, that's the thing with like the big sheets of paper that you flip through? Yeah, I've heard about those. I I can't remember the last time I saw one, though. (laughs) You know, probably the best way to get people's attention is to do things that are interesting that will get the attention of local media. You know, last year we helped found Camp Quest, and so that got uh, a lot of attention. Uh, the year before that, uh, the local groups banded together and formed a coalition of reason, and we uh, we took out a billboard, and so that got some media attention. Now, Zach, there was that study that came out a while ago saying that atheists are the least trusted group in the United States. What do you think on a social level in our communities we can do to respond to that? Honestly, the best thing to do is to not be a closeted atheist. <laughs> I know that's tough. And, and, and there's, a, there's a very fine line between being sort of out of the closet as an atheist and being an in-your-face atheist. And even if you're just discussing you know, atheist-related topics or free-thought-related topics, even if you're mentioning those at the same frequency that Christians mention Christian-related issues— they're still going to think that you're talking about it too much. Right. right? So there's, <laughs> there's a very fine line and, uh, and you're going to feel it's unfair, you know, cause you're going to like, well, I'm not talking about it any more than they are, but bear in mind that your average believer or even, even your average person who just assumes that belief is a good thing. That person is much more used to hearing people talk about things that are related to 
Christianity or other religions than they are hearing people talk about atheism it's, it, or, or free thought related uh, issues. It's, it, those things are very unfamiliar. They're not the types of things that, that people typically think about. And even when you talk about them at a general conversation level of frequency, you're going to seem like you're harping on it. You're going to seem like you're, you know, that you're, that's your one note conversation is, you know, atheism, mm-hmm. atheism, atheism, atheism. That will change. I'm, I'm fairly confident that the more people are willing to talk about it, the more people are used to hearing people talk about it. Every time that you talk about being a free thinker, and, and you, I'm not saying that you have to go around saying, hey, so did you know I'm a free thinker? You don't have to do that. But just when the opportunity presents itself. For example, here in Texas, Texas politics is you know typically a, a general topic of conversation. Everybody likes ragging on the governor, and well, unless you're a hardcore Republican, people like ragging on the governor. They like ragging on the legislature. So when when politics comes up, I get to rag on the state board of education. You know that's my beef. You know just like everybody else's mm-hmm. beef, that's my beef, and I complain about it. You know from a free thinker's perspective, and it's very clear why I don't like them. Or why I think they've been doing bad things. And so that gets across to people. And they're like, oh, yeah, huh. How about that? You know, and so somebody that, you know, knows me, you know, knows me from some other function or some other thing that I do. I don't know, like a neighbor, you know. So he only Uh only knows me from, you know, my barbecue or whatever. But now he also knows that, oh, yeah, he's also kind of a free thinker. He's not a religious guy. These are things that, that matter to him. It should be something that you're proud of, and it's just sort of matter-of-factly, oh, yes, I'm a free thinker, by the way. I don't know. I haven't really gotten much of any negative reaction when I come out as an atheist in front of people because I just say it. You know, I don't come out and say, oh, and by the way, I think religion is stupid and everyone's an idiot if they believe in magical beings, you know, or something like that. I'll instead just say, um, you know, if it's relevant to the topic, and I'll say, and I'm an atheist, or I'll say, I, and I'm a naturalist, and I'll just say it as if it was, you know, just nothing, like saying I was, uh, you know, from Los Angeles, you know, just part of what's about me, you know, and I'll just pass it through the conversation and just keep moving on with the topic and not make a big deal out of it, not be vicious about it, certainly. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Well, Zach, it's been a pleasure speaking with you again. Thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, it's been my pleasure also. In the next episode, I'll be interviewing John Caputo about postmodernism and religion. So stay tuned for more Conversations from the Pale Blue Dot.